Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat, part of the Triple Play Fantasy Network. Thank you for joining us. My name is Chris Torres. I will be your host today, joined here by my co-host, Mike Carter. Mike, how are we doing today? I'm doing okay. Better than you. With You got all the snow today. It's just cold here. I'm telling you, we, we were kind of hoping for just at least one decent storm. So my daughter was happy. We went sledding. So now nah, we'll, we'll take it. We've been pretty lucky so far, but... Uh, Listen, for this episode, we are going to be talking all things St. Louis Cardinals. We have with us a fantastic guest, legendary beat writer of the Cardinals, John Denton, who covers the Cardinals for the for MLB.com. John, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. The only white stuff down here is the sand on the beaches. So in Florida, <laughs> it's sunny and warm, and I wish we could send some warm weather your way. Oh, it's coming at some point, right? <laughs> some summer point. in the Midwest. Summer in the Midwest. The uh, humid, humid <laughs> furnace coming up. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. Well, John, let's get right to one of the biggest stories of Cardinals camp, and uh, of course, that is Jordan Walker. So he's obviously he's had a fantastic spring, and certainly seems to be in the mix for that starting left field job. But we know there's some barriers there, right? We know he's still not on the forty man roster. And we also know that the Cardinals just have a lot of options. So, John, as we sit here today on March 14th, what do you think are the odds that Walker breaks camp with the team? Well, you know, I think they're greatly increased over what they were when camp started. I mean, the kid is is like too good to be true. It's it's like he was created in a in a factory somewhere. He, he's built like a tight end. He hits like Pujols. You know, he runs like a, runs like a tailback. It's something to see. And then he's the most humble kid ever. You know, I don't know how much you guys know about his background. His nickname in high school was The Resume. His father went to MIT. His mother went to Harvard. He had a 3.9 GPA. He had offered to Duke. It, it's like too good to be true with this kid. And, you know, he's had the best camp of anybody here with the Cardinals. You know, they have a lot of their great players are playing in the WBC, but nobody can stack up to what, what the kid's done so far. First 10 games, I think he had five multi-hit games. I think he's played his way onto this roster. I really think maybe he came into camp 40% with a chance to, to make the roster. I think it's 75 to 80% now because he's been just that good. Like He has the kind of talent that you just can't deny. This feels like Albert Pujols in 2001 all over again where he just hit and he hit and he hit again and, and hit his way onto the roster. So I would put it at 80, 80 85% right now. John, I saw I saw you write about that a couple of days ago, and I, I picked up on that when you were talking about the comparison to how Pujols broke in with the Cardinals and how it was eerily similar. We got to see him in the AFL when we were down there for a first pitch Arizona, and you say is so spot on. Not only is he a physical specimen when you see him with your eyes, but then you hear him talk, and you're like, "Whoa, this guy is could be like the future face of baseball, right?" Like. He's all the tools, everything that you would want to see. What a brilliant-looking player he is. Yeah, he's, like he's, a, he's just a very smart player. I mean, he's a guy who can hit a ball 470, and then he can go opposite field the other way for a single. He hit 300 every month but one last season. I mean, he's not just a, you know, a one-trick pony who's going to jump on a fastball and pull it you know, 300 feet, uh, 400 feet. He's a guy who's going to beat you to death with singles. He's a, he's a guy who has speed. I mean, he's beaten out, uh, what, three infield singles so far. Uh, he's stolen two bases. He stole 22 out of 25 bases last year. Like like I said, it's like this guy was built in a factory. It's it's about as can't miss as, as Julio Rodriguez was last year with the Mariners. The kid has all the tools, and he just seems to be on this collision course with stardom. Mike, I think that ADP is bumping back up. I, I feel like... <laughs> You know, he had that two home run game and mm -hmm. everybody wanted Jordan Walker. They were taking him at like, you know, pick 120. And then it died out a little bit because he had the shoulder thing. And, you know, it hasn't been as much news around him. But now, I mean, hearing this, I'm like, I'm all in on Jordan Walker. This is awesome to hear. Do you think, uh, do you have any insight, John, like as far as him being not being on the 40 man at this point? I don't know how the Cardinals normally operate. Like, do you see that as... A barrier for him at this time 
No, because they can add him at any point. I mean, they actually waived uh, Freddie Pacheco was picked up on waivers today by the Tigers. So now they have 39 men on the roster. So there's an availability there just in case, you know, and, you know, I think that's a small hurdle to jump over. He'll be on the 40-man roster. You know, he's going to be, I I really think he's going to be, not only is he going to be on the roster, if he's on the roster, he's got to play every day. And Mm -hmm. you don't call Jordan Walker up to sit on the bench. You call Jordan Walker up to to play five, six days a week. And, you know, I think he's going to play right field three days a week. I think he's going to play left field two days a week. And I think he's going to be a DH a couple days a week. So, like I said, if he's on the roster, he's going to play. And I really think he's going to be on the roster now. It's fascinating. John, you know, one of the things you you talk about that outfield playing time situation, and they've got a lot of options. I mean, besides Walker, who we've talked about for the first few minutes, they also have Newt Bar. They've got Carlson. They've got O'Neill. They've got other guys like Yepes and Burleson. How do you see this shaking out? I mean, I know Ali Marmol said last week that three of those guys were competing for center field. How do you think this is going to shake out? I know that some of those guys are also in the WBC as well. Yeah, the, you know, with, with Newt Bar taking over the world, basically, in Japan, I don't know how much you guys have seen of him. He's got, uh-huh. you know, all of Japan doing the pepper grinder move. He's got Otani. He's got little kids doing it. Newt Bar is just one of the most magnetic personalities I've ever been around, and everybody loves him. You know, the, the stat cast numbers all jump off the charts with him. He was in that top, you know, what, 90% of, of hit exit velocity last year. He's also a very good walk rate guy. I think he was second in the league in walk rate. Newbar's going to play. He's going to be in that lineup somewhere. The one who may get pushed out is Dylan Carlson. You know, he's he's hit the ball well this preseason. He put on weight. I wrote a story about how he was eating 4,500 calories a day. He put on 12 to 14 pounds. He's stronger. But he's having a problem with strikeouts still in this camp. And, you know, Tyler O'Neill has hit the ball really well with Canada. It looks like right now, it looks like it's going to be Tyler O'Neill, Lars Newbar, and Jordan Walker in that outfield. Now, maybe you do a right-left platoon with, with Tyler O'Neill and, and Dylan Carlson. Carlson's a great hitter right-handed. He's shown some progress this camp left-handed. That was a big problem last year. But, you know, at this point, if you had to answer today, I think it may be Dylan Carlson is the guy who gets squeezed out. That makes sense. You you brought up Tyler O'Neill. Uh, what do you think happened to him last year, and what are your expectations for him going into this year? You know, he, you know, Christopher coming off of twenty one, he had a tremendous season. Twenty one, he was he was top eight in in the National League in MVP voting. He finished strong. You know, he he didn't get a long term extension. That kind of put him in a bad way. Then he hurt his shoulder. Then he hurt his hamstring. Then he hurt his wrist. Then he hurt his hamstring again. So it was just one thing after another for him. You know, everything went wrong. He lost his arbitration case against the Cardinals. He got hurt over and over. You know, things. a lot of things have changed for Tyler. He had a kid in the offseason. He stayed in St. Louis all offseason. He's in great shape. He's not quite the bodybuilder he used to be. He's more mm-hmm. in baseball shape now. They want him in shape where he can run and he can chase down fly balls. And Tyler came to them and said, hey, I want to play center field. Tyler wants to make himself as valuable as possible. He wasn't trying to push Dylan Carlson out, but he was trying to just make himself valuable. And, you know, we all know he's won two gold gloves in left field. He's got the speed that can that can hold up in center field. He just has to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. John, what are you seeing out of Wilson Contreras so far this spring? He's obviously replacing a, what I think is a first ballot Hall of Famer and Yadi Molina. I don't know if the voters will agree. What do you think? What do you think he brings to the uh, to the team this year? You know, he's he's got some edge to him. It didn't take long in camp. Uh, I think the third game in camp, he got in Dom Smith's face. You know, Dom Smith mm-hmm. kind of yelled at him, one of the Cardinal pitchers. He brings that edge. You know, he he openly says, when you play against me, I don't want you to like me. I want you to hate me when you're playing against me. And, you know, a lot of the Cardinal guys said, man, we hated him when we played <laughs> against him, but we like him now. He's a guy who's going to bring that edge. You know, he's going to hit the ball. It's going to be a huge upgrade offensively at the catcher position. You just have some doubts about, you know, can he get better at framing pitches? Can he get better mm-hmm. at throwing out runners? Since he's debuted in, in the league, he leads the league by a mile in pickoffs. He'll mm-hmm. back pick a guy at first. He'll back pick a guy at third. But can he, you know, up that percentage of throwing guys out at second? We're going to see a big jump in stolen bases this year. Mm-hmm. You know, if, he can, if he can get close to that 35 37 38% range, you know, the Cardinals are going to have, they're, they're going to have a home run on their hands because he's going to be a huge upgrade offensively. Yeah. And speaking of stolen bases, the Cardinals are going to be relying on Tommy Edmond for stolen bases as well as fantasy players. Uh, fantasy oh. players are very interested in him for that. 
But a big question about Tommy Edmond is where is he going to hit in the lineup? Because obviously there's going to be a significant difference in his production if he's batting leadoff as opposed to ninth, as we saw a bit last year. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, Christopher, a little inside baseball. Tommy said, he said, I stole 25 bases last year. And I told him, I said, well, in the minor leagues last year, stolen base attempts went up 26%. He said, okay, 26%. He said, he thinks he can get to 45, maybe in 50 this season. Wow. That's a big jump. Now he is going to bat. He's still going to bat ninth. Uh, he's probably going to be in that that second leadoff spot in the ninth spot because Newt Barr's own base percentage is so high. He's going to bat first, or Donovan's going to bat first. Brendan Donovan's a guy with a three eighty on base percentage last year. Hmm. Tommy just needs to be, you know, if you look at his rookie year, he was a three oh five guy. He was a high three hundreds on base percentage. Since then, he's been more in the two sixty range with a mid three hundred on base percentage. It's all about his own base percentage with Tommy. It's about not rolling over on ground balls and, you know, hitting the, hitting the ball in the gaps and running. If he can get that own base percentage to 360, 370, he could get those 50 steals this year. Interesting. Yeah, for sure. John, one of the guys that a lot of people have questions about, not only in the baseball community, but also in the fantasy baseball community, is Jack Flaherty. You know, this guy has shown in the past that when he's healthy, he's got ace-level kind of stuff for the Cardinals. What have you seen from him so far this spring, and what are you expecting from him this year? I mean, does he look like he's healthy? Does he look like he can make 25 to 30 starts again to you? Yeah, Mike, uh, this is the best he's looked since the beginning of 21, you know, and and I've been open to about saying it, and Jack will agree with this. If Jack Flaherty is their ace, the Cardinals can contend for a World Series. If Jack mm-hmm. Flaherty is their third or fourth pitcher, they're probably looking at another early exit. You know, they're not they're not going to be a serious contender. Jack is an X factor that can slingshot this team into contention. He showed up in great shape. This is the healthiest he's felt since the early 21 season. His slider looks really good right now. His, his fastball is still in that 92, 93 range. He's hoping by the end of camp that that'll be 94, 95. But, you know, when he when he's landing that fastball, then the slider is a wipeout pitch. And he's looked really good so far. I think he's he has six strikeouts and four of them have been looking. So that gives you a little bit mm-hmm. of an indication of how good his stuff's been so far. Sticking with the rotation, I wanted to ask about Steven Matz. I know last year, you know, he got the free agent contract. He, you know, the ERA, the surface stats did not look good last year, but when you look under the hood and look at some of the, the strikeout to walk percentage and and the peripheral stats, he actually looked a little bit better. It looked like, you know, a pretty like the skills took a little bit of a jump forward. So I'm wondering, first, is, is he healthy and what are your expectations for him this year? He's totally healthy. He's over the knee issue. You know, that that was one of the low points of the season is. Steven Matz missed six weeks with that shoulder injury. He came back. He was pitching great against the Reds. There's a little dribbler up the line, and he tears up his knee. You know, that was a low point because they were counting on Steven Matz. They really needed a left-hander. He's finally healthy. Steven Matz is one of the biggest mysteries in baseball in my eyes. He is maybe the best athlete in that whole locker room, and his stuff is unbelievable. Like, people step away from the box like they can't believe how good his stuff is. But Steven will have one bad thing happen, a ball hit off somebody's glove, a hit batter, an error or something like that, and it tends to go all downhill for him. He's got to figure out a way to, you know, move on to the next pitch. He talked about that the other day that, you know, his talent is too good to be a sub-500 pitcher for his career. This guy has electric stuff. He's finally healthy. I think Steven Matz could be that 12 to 13, 14-game winner this season for the Cardinals if he can put it all together and stay healthy. Yeah, and that that tendency of his to just kind of melt down after a few things go wrong, I, that's going back to when he was here in New York, when I yes. watched him when he was on the Mets. Like, that's just always been an issue for him. So hopefully he can, I don't know if it's, you know, mental coach or, you know, some <laughs> way to kind of get through that because we know that the talent is there. But Mike, you're the, you're the bullpen guy. So why don't you ask John about what's going on here? This is the question I've been dying to ask you for a couple of weeks before we got you on. So, obviously, the Cardinals really walked into a great situation with Helsley last year. He was one of the best, probably three or four relief pitchers in all of baseball last year. But we also know from following Ali Marmol a little bit from a distance from where I am, it looks like he's not afraid to kind of look at playing matchups and stuff, too. 
My question to you is this, is Housley the full-on closer for this team, or do you see a spot where they might use him in that sort of high-leverage stopper role in the middle innings if they get themselves in a jam because they've got Hicks and they've also got Gallegos, who's got closing experience as well? This is an inquiring minds question that baseball, <laughs> fantasy baseball people want to know, John. What do you think about yeah, that one? I, th- I think Helsley's the guy. I mean, you're going to see him with some four-out saves and some five-out saves, but I still think he's the guy. He's going to get 90% of the, the save opportunities in St. Louis. The big issue with him was last year, he didn't always want to pitch on back-to-back days. He didn't want to mm-hmm. pitch three times in four days. Availability is a big thing for Ryan. You know, I'm sure you guys know he lost his arbitration case, and that was a big factor that the Cardinals used in, against him. you got to be available more. And, you know, Ryan's, Ryan's still got a lot of angst about what happened, what went on in that arbitration hearing and, you know, part of him wants to go out and show the Cardinals that he can he can be that guy that can pitch on back-to-back days. And, you know, they kind of babied him last season. They didn't want him to get hurt. He was coming off a – he had an arm injury. He had a knee injury. They wanted to just get him through healthy last year. He had the freakish finger injury in game 161 that messed him up the playoffs. But I think Helsley is primed for a, a big year. I could see those save numbers jumping in the 30, 35 range this year. I, he's going to get – 90, 95% of the save opportunities. I find it interesting, John, how you've brought up two two arbitration cases where there seems to still be, (laughs) like, there's still some angst. I'm like, you know, I I talked about this, I don't know if it was on here or on Twitter. It's just like, why do these teams, like, I understand it's a business and you're trying to save every dollar, but man, it seems like sometimes the fallout of of these arbitration cases, like, not worth it, but that's just an inside. We're, We're in the locker rooms every day and we hear the players talking about it. You know, they're, they're not big fans of the of the system, you know, and there is some angst to, but you know these teams have their formulas and they're they want to pay a guy based on what the formula tells them. And like you said, every dollar that they save, they can put towards someone else. So, mm-hmm. but like you said, it does kind of cause some ill will, and nobody really likes it. The team the teams don't like it, the players don't like it, it causes that ill will. But you hope it eventually it'll motivate a guy to you know to want to pitch better. John, here's my last question for you, really. Is there a minor league guy right now that, you, that is not on the roster that or that might not be on the radar for fantasy league players that you are really interested in in thinking could be a guy this year that makes a contribution to the team? Yeah, you know, if if you were looking at it straight on who the players are in camp right now, Mason Wynn has been the number two player behind Jordan Walker. I mean, he's the number two ranked player in the system. Him and Jordan Walker were roommates last year in Springfield. He's been incredible so far. They knew he had the big arm. You know, he threw 100.5 miles an hour in the Futures wow. game. He threw 99.9 the other day to gun down a fast runner. But he's also hit the ball really well. They're impressed with how good his bat has been. They're, they had no clue that he was this good offensively. Paul DeYoung is a guy who struggled for the last couple of years. Paul DeYoung has owed a lot of money this off this season. If Paul struggles, you know, they could see a scenario where the Cardinals cut bait with him and Mason mm-hmm. Wynn is up there because this kid, you know, kind of like Jordan Walker. Jordan Walker is 6'5 and is tremendously talented. This kid's 5'11 and he walks around like he's 6'5. He'll puff that chest out. He's a great talker. He's full of confidence, and his 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 skill set is just off the charts. So he's a future star. It's just depending on is it going to be in 2023 or is it going to be 2024? I saw the clip of him uh, meeting Ozzie Smith the other day. Yes. That yes. was really cool to see. Yeah, he was a kid in the candy store, you know. I mean, Mason's a guy who knows the history of the game, and he knew how – I mean, you, it's not every day you meet a 13-time gold glove winner. And, you know, he, he works with Jose Akendo every day. Guy, a cardinal legend known as the secret weapon. So he mm-hmm. said, hey, I've got Ozzy Smith in this year and Jose Akendo in this year. How can I go wrong? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, John, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. If you could please tell our listeners where they can find your work and where you're at on Twitter. Yeah, MLB.com and, and Cardinals.com. You know, all my stuff will be there. Twitter is at John Denton 555. You know, I, I post all my stories there and you know, love, love interacting with fans. Bring bring any questions you have to me. But, I mean, I appreciate you guys having me on today. Yep. We would love to have you back on sometime during the season. But uh, Sounds great. All right. Well, take care. And uh, we are going to take a quick break. Oh. 
Welcome back for our fantasy follow-up segment. So, Mike, which Cardinals player are you most interested in and why? Uh, that's a really good question. I think they have a bunch of guys there in the middle of their lineup that are going to probably hit 20 home runs and, and steal some bases as well. And we all know my predilection. If you've listened to this podcast at all, you know my predilection for getting guys that have double-digit home runs and double-digit steals. I really liked what John had to say about Tyler O'Neill. I like the fact that his body has changed, that he's got more of a baseball body now and less of a weightlifter body. It's a guy who's 27. He could be coming into his prime. I think he's probably going to hit second in this lineup maybe behind Newt Bar. I really like the idea of him you know, getting somewhere between 25 and 30 home runs and maybe stealing 15 to 20 bases. Batting average is probably going to be a little bit suppressed, but in today's day and age, a guy hitting 240 to me is not a deal breaker if you're going to get those other stats. So O'Neill is the guy for me that I think I'm really kind of targeting here. Yeah, I was very encouraged to hear what John had to say about him in terms of coming in in more baseball shape. It always... I'm perplexed when I see players that are just trying to look like bodybuilders, you know, like mm-hmm. Tom O'Neill, like Stanton. You even heard about Seiya Suzuki trying to put on muscle and he pulls an oblique in the first week of spring training. You know, it's like you're a baseball player. You're not meant to be bulky. Like you need to be flexible. So right, that right. is encouraging. Hopefully, you know, after all the injuries last year, he really made a dramatic overhaul to his approach. I am a little concerned, though, I'll be honest, about just given the amount of players that are there, like John did mention, maybe Dylan Carlson, like they do some kind of platoon thing with him. So that's one thing I've had a chance to take O'Neill in several drafts. And every time I just, I can't pull the trigger. If you look at the projections, they look good. They look actually like he's a value based on where he's, he's going, but I don't know. There's just a little bit of uncertainty. Like if he goes through a stretch where he starts striking out a lot, mm-hmm. are we going to see more Dylan Carlson or, you know, uh, Alec Burleson? Or I just feel like there's so many pieces moving there that I, I don't feel confident in the playing time as confident as I should be in a guy I'm taking around pick 100. You know what I think is going to happen there? I'll bet you a beer, a beer of your choice. I'll bet you that Carlson doesn't make the team. I'll bet you that they send him down. He's got options remaining. He's only 24. I think if he's not going to play every day, that they probably want him to go get some at-bats and start working on that left-handed swing like John was talking about in the first part of the pod. Well, Uh, I'm not even, Mike, I'm not even worried about that. It's, you know, I think there is a good chance he gets sent down. But let's say O'Neal does start out with the job and, again, goes through a period where he struggles. Does Carlson come up? and mm-hmm. start to take away playing time. That's that's my concern. Right now, it's not looking great. In spring training, Carlson's striking out a bunch. Like He needs to make an adjustment. So uh, That's fair. That's totally fair. That's a good assessment. Yeah. So I will, I'll bet you Milwaukee's best. How about that? I'm all in. I'm all yeah. in. <laughs> I didn't get fat on accident. I don't drink. I didn't used to drink good beer, so I'm in. That was just rancid stuff, man. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Being a poor college student, I, you know, I'm sure a lot of people could relate. It was like Bush Light. Milwaukee's best and just always felt like crap the next day. Absolutely. Uh, But anyway, let's move on to the guy that everybody's talking about uh, and who we started off the discussion with John about, which is Jordan Walker. There's been a lot of buzz around him because of his spring training. Like I mentioned in the interview, like he, he bumped up to the ninth, 10th round of drafts after, you know, that, that two home run game and just, you know, the performance he's been putting up in spring, um, you know, talking with you off air, I'm getting the sense for you, Mike, that you're, you're not in favor of that. So tell the people why you don't want to take Jordan Walker where his current ADP is. Well, <laughs> that's, a t- <laughs> that's a good question. And I'll, and I'll say this. I think I just don't know how you project the guy. I mean, he, he's got all the tools, as John said. He looks remarkable when you see him. The body type is like he's made out of a factory, like John said. The mental acumen is there. The acuity to be able to be a really good baseball player is there. But the problem that I have with this is similar to kind of what you talked about with the Carlson O'Neill conundrum is once he gets up to the major leagues, he's 20. They start pitching him differently. He's not just getting somebody's spring training fastball. Does he get exposed? In Glarf, the league that I play in, which is probably the most competitive league that I play in. Dave McDonald, the legendary Ohio player from Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland Rocks. 
he took Jordan Walker in the tenth round and got a lot of oohs and ahs. I think it was the same day that he had the two home runs. But Jordan Walker's also got third base eligibility in NFBC, so I'm guessing that was part of the method of Dave's madness and all of that. To me, the price that you have to pay to get a guy who might get ten home runs and ten stolen bases is really high. Now. That's also the type of move that wins leagues. And Dave is a better player than me. Dave knows more than I do about this type of stuff. And if he all of a sudden explodes and he's 25-25, it probably wins Dave the league, right? So those are things that you have to consider when you're doing this. I think in most leagues, again, we always talk about how things are context-dependent. So it depends on the, the style of your league and what kind of league you're in. If you're in a keeper league and you can get Jordan Walker, absolutely, by all means, get him and hold on to him. He's 20. He's going to be a star. It looks like he's got all the pedigree and all the things that you would want to attach to it. But in my, in my leagues that I'm playing in, there are other guys around that price point that I would think I feel safer taking, which is, again, probably why I don't win big leagues, because I don't take the level of risk that Dave took in Glarf by taking him where he did. Chris, what do you think about this guy? I mean, I think, I think there's a really... Uh, catastrophic almost floor for him that he could get sent down after a month and you wasted a high pick on him what do you think where are you going to take him well first let me say you should check waiver wire in that league because we know that dave is not a fan of uh, injured players and though it was minor we know he had a shoulder strain and even though he's back in the lineup now knowing dave like that's that might be the end of his jordan walker love he may have dropped him so no, I'm just kidding. I love you, Dave. <laughs> just busting your chops. But anyway, Jordan Walker. So I took him. I've done, I'm in my fifth DC right now. And some people may think that I'm a lightweight and some people may think I'm a maniac. Probably somewhere in between. <laughs> but yeah, I took him in the 13th round of one of my DCs a couple weeks ago. And this mm-hmm. was actually right before he had that two home run game. So again, the ADP jumped after that. and. I'll be honest, I still don't feel great about it, even though it's probably a discount. You know, at this point, I I just have the same concerns that you do. I mean, there's it sounds like John, from what he was saying, that the 40 man issue is not not really a barrier for him. It sounds like mm-hmm. he could take that spot very soon. But um, like you said, he could make the team and everybody will take their victory laps, right? Everybody's gonna everybody who was hyping Jordan Walker is gonna be like a pig in shit, right? Because he made it. But like you said, he could hit a stretch where you know pitchers adjust and he goes, let's say, I don't know, five for fifty. <laughs> you know, like maybe just has some bad batted ball luck. Who knows? Like there's a lot of ways, a lot of paths to this not working out. And the Cardinals have plenty of guys that could that could take his spot. And like you said, he's 20 years old. He go work on some things, kid. You know, it'd be very mm-hmm. simple. So I'm not taking him definitely at his new ADP. I just I don't see it. But he could very well prove us wrong, man. Oh, I know the upside is huge. It reminds me the way John was actually talking about him. He brought the Julio comp and. He almost sounds like Aaron Judge just because of like his physical stature and just his personality. Like like these guys are just kind of once in a generation type players. So maybe there's that, you know, Aaron Judge came up as a rookie and, you know, was was unbelievable. So we will see. But that is definitely going to be a hotly debated one. Tell me anybody else on this team. Let's actually focus on the pitching here for a sec, because like I mentioned earlier, I look at this rotation. I'm like, man, this is this is kind of rough. Any of these pitchers, like, are, are you interested in a Jack Flaherty bounce back? Like, where are you at with some of these guys in the rotation? I'm out on Wayno, and I Michaelis last year was kind of a volume guy, right? I mean, he pit, he pitched over 200 innings. He's not going to really help you too much with strikeouts. I love Wayno for what he represents, but I don't think that he's a fantasy guy that I would be super interested in. The guy that I really like, I know some people really like Jordan Montgomery, and I get that too. I really, really like Flaherty to bounce back. I was really happy to hear John say that he looks healthy. It's the first time he's been healthy in three years. He's throwing the slider. He's striking out some guys looking. Obviously, the fastball, we hope, will gain a couple of more MPHs here in the next couple of weeks before camp starts. But where he's going, you know, a couple of years ago, he was, you know, borderline top 10, 12 starting pitcher in some places, you know. Where he's going, if you can get him as your third or fourth starter, I think he's a steal. 
one of my friends who I, I don't know that I can say his name, the podcast, because I don't want to reveal his strategy. But one of the things that he's been doing is building fantasy rotations out of guys that are coming back from injuries that are were not like catastrophic arm injuries. So guys like Flaherty, guys like Sale, guys like Freddie Peralta. He's got some pretty damaging arms there if he if he gets those guys to be healthy. And I kind of piggybacked off of that. I got Flaherty in a couple places as my number four. And I feel really, really good about that. I hope it comes true. <laughs> That's interesting. So this friend of yours has a lot of high risk pitchers, right? Yes. Yes. Um, you know, I understand like taking, you know, kind of balancing out your roster with maybe like one or two of those guys and then making sure you've got quote unquote safer pick up top. I just, I don't, I don't like that when you're just, yeah, I've seen people take like, even before Glass now got hurt, they go like, glass now dustin may chris sale you know and it's like yeah yeah, yeah i guess you're gonna get some quality you know when they're they're pitching you're gonna most likely get quality innings but you, you gotta balance it out man you, you know yeah. get a get a more stable get a sandy get a framberg get a guy yeah 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 you know but so is, is, it, is it different for you if you start so that's a really great question and a really good point to ponder because in the leagues where I took Flaherty, I didn't have any other risky – in my mind, I didn't have any other risky guys before that. But say that you start with a Woodruff-Gallon situation or a Woodruff and Webb, Logan-Webb situation, would you be more likely to take a chance on a guy like Flaherty down the road? Personally, for as far as Flaherty, I'm out on him. Okay. I just – there's just too many – we just haven't seen a healthy season in a while. I'm just looking him up now. So he gave you 78 innings and in 21, 36 and 22. Like, what can we realistically expect mm-hmm. from him innings wise? Like already mm-hmm. he's got a cap ceiling, you know, even in best case scenario, he's maybe giving you 140. I can't imagine he's just going to bump back up to 200 innings, you know, like you he did in, in 19. Don't you think some of that too, though, Chris? I mean, don't you think innings are going to be down for starters this year too? I mean, I've sort of set 150 as my benchmark for uh, where I'm looking. I'm hoping that my my top three or four or five guys get to. Like, I I think the 200 inning starter is is dead. Maybe there might be four or five guys that do it. I just don't see us re- returning to that. Do you? No, I I don't. And I hear what you're saying, but as my you know, if you're taking him as your SP four. I want a guy who I can at least project for a little bit more than that, say 160, mm-hmm. 170 range. Sure, sure. Um, again, I don't want a guy with a cap ceiling. And the other thing with Flaherty is that I, I'm looking at the skills. I don't see like he doesn't have like a plus 30% K rate. He got up to 30% in 2019, but I'm not seeing like some crazy K minus walk percentage, like the skills that would warrant taking a risk on him. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is the actual upside with Flaherty? So yeah, he's not just not a guy that I'm, I'm targeting very well. Could be wrong on that. One guy I am targeting on the Cardinals is Steven Matz. And I I mentioned this during the interview is if you look under the hood last year, his skills looked really good last year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know I've been in some rooms with, you know, people we all would consider very sharp. And I see that they're on Steven Matz. So, you know, obviously we can't just appeal to, uh, you know, authority, so to speak, but I think you got to take note of that. And I think there's something there. You know, there's always been, it's one of those, like with him, it's intangibles, right? He's always had this issue where he just has these blow up games and it happened again last year, like John mentioned. So that's my concern with him. But if, man, he could just, you know, he kind of showed that that he could be a little bit more consistent that year in Toronto. And, you know, if he could just recapture some of that, going where he's going after pick 300, I think he's a steal pitching on a good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's a, a good candidate for wins with a good defense behind him. So I really like Steven Matz this year. Yeah, that's, that's a sense when you were talking about him in the earlier part of the podcast that you were a fan. You kind of want to believe that he can put it together. I, I guess the question that I have is at 31, what do we see if can we get him to that 140, 150 inning plateau? Because I think last year he was, I think he only was like maybe 120. If, and if that, I mean, it might've been less than that. Oh I'm, no, last year he hardly, yeah, he had 43 innings. Oh, was it? Uh, okay. 48, excuse me, 48, 48 innings. innings. That's right. Oh, I'm, um, you know what I'm thinking about is the projection for this year. I think I saw, Roster Resource had him at like 120. I think that's where yeah, I'm getting confused. Exactly. Yeah, about okay. 120. The year before, he pitched 150. So that was 
his high watermark is 160 and 19. So, okay. Yeah, he, he's been okay from that perspective. I know he's he's always had kind of these little nagging injuries that kind of get in the way. But yeah, a guy that I like just because of that price, I feel like there's definitely some upside there. What about Helsley? You asked John about Helsley and sounds like John's pretty confident he's the guy. Um, I know some people are speculating maybe Gallegos takes a little bit of that share. So tell me where you're at. He's kind of going right now in that that second tier with the Presleys and who else? Iglesias. All, there's kind of a clump of guys going in that round four to five range, and and he's at the tail end of that. So is he a guy that you're targeting? Yeah, I like him a lot. I, I think Harry and John talk about him kind of solidified that for me. I think one of my concerns obviously covering the bullpens at fan tracks like I have the last couple of years is, you know, sometimes the best arm in the bullpen isn't the guy that's always going to get the save opportunities. And John seemed to think that with the opportunity that's in front of him right now, that he's a 35 save guy. If he's a 35 save guy, he's a top, you know, he's a top five or six guy in the game. Right. So I think the thing that we always worry about is what John brought up, which was that, you know, Housley last year, showed a propensity to not be able to pitch multiple times in a week. And there were times where Gallegos got – Gallegos started the year with the job, as you know. And then there were times where Gallegos was tapped to get save opportunities on a weekend where Helsley might have pitched on Thursday and Friday and then wasn't available. So if he's more available and he's able to do that, then I think it's a no-brainer that he's a top five, top six closer. As of right now, I still am hedging a little bit. I, you know, To me, he's a ninth or tenth guy right now based on the fact that we just don't know if he's going to get that volume. You know, I think he's probably right. John knows more than I do. I mean, he's going to, if he says it's going to be Helsley, then I take his word for it that it's going to be Helsley. And people, can we stop drafting Giovanni Gallegos with <laughs> top 300 pick? I mean, what are we doing? You know, like, are, are you, are you expecting that you're going to plug in Giovanni Gallegos? And yeah, he may get a couple ancillary saves. Maybe at the end of the year, he has five to 10. But you've got to be able to time that right. Mm-hmm. So if you're putting him in there, if you're just plugging in Giovanni Gallegos and you say, well, he's going to get me 10 saves and good ratios. I got news for you, man. Like you, you're falling behind. You can't plug a guy in who's not getting you consistent saves and who's really just like a middle reliever most of the time. Like once in a while, fine. But that that's not going to work. You're going to fall behind in wins. If you're in a roto league, you're going to fall behind in wins. Mm-hmm. You're going to fall behind in strikeouts. Just not, I'm not paying a top 300 pick for what I see essentially as a handcuff. There are other guys that are going much, much later who I I think are, you know, in that same category. But uh, anybody else? Well, I got to ask you, man, Lars Newtbar. First, (laughs) let me ask you if his name wasn't Lars Newtbar and if it was Ben Smith, (laughs) do do you think he'd be going as high as he is? And would he be as beloved among fantasy players as he is? Well, he's got a great name. There's <laughs> a fantastic name. I'm not no kidding. doubt, no doubt. I mean, it sounds like a candy bar, right? So it's like, you know, it's, it's wonderful. I, I think um, he opened some eyes last year and showed that he is a for real kind of guy. I mean, his his off the ball, off the bat exit velocities were pretty high. He's the type of guy that has kind of fought his way from not being like the highest pedigreed prospect there. You know, they've got Carlson, who was a first round pick. They got Walker, who was a first round pick. You know, they've got these guys that have these high pedigrees that they took in the outfield. And and he's just kind of fought his way into the conversation. You know, he's probably not going to steal a ton of bases, but he's going to probably be playing and and hitting the top of a pretty good order and score a ton of runs. So he, he easily could hit 20 home runs with 500 at-bats. I know that roster resource, I think, has him exactly at that, at 20 home runs, 511 at-bats, 237 average. I think it might be a little low. I mean, his OBP is going to be pretty high. He's a guy that I'm pretty interested in where he's going. I mean, it seems like he's um, a potential. I know we use the word value a lot and put that in quotes, but it looks like he could be a guy that could provide you some of that, depending on where you're able to get him in drafts. Yeah, and... John talked about him being a, a good candidate for the leadoff role, which he he did a role that he had at times last year. And right now I'm looking at roster resource and they've got Tommy Edmond up there at least. Yeah. And yeah. I have my doubts about that, you know, and I'm mixed on him. You know, he's he's a great speed source, obviously. And based on what was shared in the interview, it, it sounds like Tommy Edmond might be targeting even more. 
you know, with the new rules in place. But if he bats ninth, oh no, man. Like I know we had this conversation last year and it turned out just fine. But he's another guy. I just I've had a chance to draft him multiple times and I just can't pull the trigger. So Yeah. Well, uh, it's interesting to think about too, because if he steals like forty to fifty bases, like John was saying that he was suggesting that he was going to try to do, Newtbar's value could go up a little bit because he'd be knocking him in a lot more, right? So we'll see. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna give you some quick Torres takes take us out of here. All right. Okay. First of all, Nolan Arenado. All right. He's going like in the early third round. I don't get it. You plug him into the bad act again using the software and just using regular five by five stats. He ranks as the 113th player overall. You know, you're obviously not getting speed. Maybe they're a little light on his projection and in his batting average, but still, it's like I just don't see the appeal of taking Nolan Arenado there. I could get Max Muncie. I know it's not the same player. I know Arenado's better, but I'm taking Muncie at pick 130, 140, mm-hmm. whereas Arenado. I've got to spend a really premium pick on. So just uh, not something that I'm interested in uh, where he's going. Jordan Montgomery, another guy he's going. People like him. I liked him last year. I thought maybe there was a chance that he could take a step forward with the Yankees. It's just I just don't see another level with him at this point. And people point to the second half last year. If you really look under the hood, it wasn't like a huge difference in terms of his skills. So. He's a guy that I think you could find a similar type profile later in the draft. He, he'll give you innings. He's on a good team. I'd rather take Steven Matz 150 picks later. Mm-hmm. So just not, he's just kind of boring. And at pick 150, I want a guy, I want some upside there. Uh, so that's all I got. I got a few recommendations though. And I don't know if there's anything you want to plug, but there's just a few things that for our listeners that many of you may already know, you know, come across this stuff. But first thing, I was listening to a podcast the other day, uh, The Sleeper in the Bus, fantastic podcast. This one was with Paul Spohr and Eric Longenhagen, the prospect guy over at mm-hmm. Fangrass. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, man, this freaking podcast was unbelievable. And it was actually, it was a two-parter. It was, they did three hours. I think they did three hours on the American League, two hours on the National League. And they went in depth on every team. And, you know, sometimes these prospect podcasts, I get a little bit like because I'm not a dynasty player. So like mm-hmm. when they're talking about 19 year old guys who are not going to see for five years, I'm like, all right, like I just I'm not really you're going to lose me there. But they were taught they talked about some of those guys, but they also talked a lot about guys who players who have been in the league maybe a year or two. And it was just very interesting to hear Eric's take on them because he's looking at first of all, he's not really a fantasy guy. So you're getting a, that perspective like non-fantasy perspective but it's always interesting i think to see how a player was seen like before they came up right mm-hmm. like what was what what was their developmental path like mm-hmm. and you know i think because sometimes we just we kind of get in this bubble right like we just go off of what we've seen maybe for that first year or two you know for example he was like really high on tyler stevenson he's like listen there's another level here we saw it and we haven't seen it yet but it's coming Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like Tyler Stevenson at this point, like me personally, I'm like, ah, he's kind of boring. Like, he's not really a big power guy. Like, I kind of feel like he is who he is. But it was just really interesting to hear, like, the perspective of somebody who was following this guy coming up through the minors, you know. So I got to plug that. Any any listener, once you're done with this podcast, go put on Sleeper in the Bus. Again, it's a two-parter. The other thing I wanted to recommend, and I spend, I'm going to get fired from my job, Mike. I mean, I spent half... <laughs> I, I spent half of my day on Monday just going through the Stuff Plus leaderboards. They've got Eno Saris's model. You know how he has the Stuff Plus, Command, Location Plus, which used to be all kind of just exclusive to the athletic. And you really had to dig to find it. Mm-hmm. He had like some Google Doc where it was just like not user friendly. Now it's all up there, like super user friendly. You could go back multiple years and look at stuff by by pitch location plus command plus like i'm telling you man like i just had i'm such a nerd like i just had a field day looking at this stuff so probably people who are listening to this podcast already know that this stuff is out there but if you don't stop what you're doing go to pitching go to leaders 
the tab up at the top of fan graphs, go to pitching, and then you'll see a, a tab for pitch modeling. And you'll see Eno's model. You'll see, I forget the guy's name, but he goes by pitching bot on Twitter. Really sharp dude. He's working for the Guardians now. But they have his model up there. Just mm-hmm. fantastic stuff. And I think it's really the next. This is really the next. Uh, I know Eno has been on this for a while, but like for this to become publicly available as much as it is now, we're kind of entering, I think, like another frontier in terms of mm-hmm. pitching evaluation. So I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> any, any thoughts on any of those things or anything that you wanted to recommend or plug or, or even any of the stuff that you're putting out? No, nothing to plug right now. <laughs> I'll be doing a, I'll be updating the bullpen charts this week and I'll get that out this weekend on fan tracks. But I, I wanted to go back to something you said about Arenado and something that I've been picking up on in the drafts that I've been doing. I think what's happening is that it's not so much that people love him or think that his projection is wrong. I think it's that people panic at the third base position. Yeah. You have those guys, those top four or five guys that are going to the second, you know, top two rounds. You hit the panic button and say, "Oh my God! If I don't get Bregman or Arenado, there's a cliff here." That's not true. I don't. I don't think yeah. that you have to do it that way. I think in that situation, I think your your best bet is to go the best player available. I, I don't think no one Arenado is the best player available in the third round ever, honestly. So I just wanted to piggyback off what you said there. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent point. And but let me tell you, man, the third baseman to target. If you listen this long, you do, you deserve this this take. It's Alec Bohm. It's Alec freaking Bohm is the guy where he's going around pick 170. Dude's going to hit for average. He's going to chip mm-hmm. in some steals. And you're seeing in spring training, he, he's made intention to hit for more power. I think the dude's going to break out this year. He's hitting in the middle of a loaded lineup. I'm all in. Alec Bohm. Don't panic at third base. I think there are options. I like Ryan McMahon. Shoot, McMahon is very my- underrated. I like Moncada this year too. I'm sorry, I'm gonna stop. I, I, yeah, I was about to ask you because you you know him better than me. I mean, he's going. Nobody wants Moncada. Nobody. You know, he's going around pick 300. I he's gonna play. Am I wrong? Is he is he gonna play every day? And, yes. You know. Yes. Hit hit yes. fifth to six in in a decent lineup. No, I don't think he's gonna. Hit, I think he. I think he's gonna hit second. Oh, they've really? been using even better. They've been, They've been using Benintendi hitting third, and Pedro Grafal said that he liked having Mon- Mancada batting second and Grafal batting third. They've messed around a little bit with Colas batting second, but I don't think that's a good fit. I think he's going to hit further down in the water because of the power. If Mancada's hitting second between TA and Benintendi, I'm interested. Oh, man. I mean, even, yeah, just to know, because I know he batted higher in the lineup at points last year. So it's like, just mm-hmm. to know that's in the range of outcomes for him. Like if he gets hot and let's say he gets run in the top half of, you know, the second spot. I mean, if you're getting him at pick 300 and getting everyday plate appearances, that alone, just the counting stats will pay for that draft price. But yeah, let's remember this guy was the number one prospect in baseball. And I know nobody wants to yeah. hear that at this point, but and he's, and he's 27 and he's, he's 27. Jack, he's Jack Carter's favorite white sock. And so, that's the most important thing. <laughs> Yoan Moncada, Jack is sitting behind me right now, for those of you listening at home. Oh, not really anymore? Oh, okay. <laughs> who is Jack's favorite White Sox? Jack, who is your favorite White Sox right now? Chris wants to know. Uh, I like Roberts, but probably Lynn. He likes Lance Lynn. Oh, and, he, and and Luis Robert, because they're both studs. So Lance, Lance Lynn, fresh off of his great performance last night for Team America in the WBC. Yeah, no, I... I like Lynn a lot this year, so he's he's got some good taste there. But quickly, Mike, before we wrap up, I know we like to end on something non-baseball. Yep. Mental Health Minute. Tell me anything you're doing to maintain your wellness right now. Man, it's been rough the last couple of weeks, right? We've had a lot of gray days here in the Midwest. Temperature's been a little bit better, but not seeing the sun can really impact you, you know? And I think... Anything that you can do in the, in this time to kind of be looking forward a little bit. I know that we want to stay in the present. The present is a present, as we talk about all the time, right? But we know that baseball is coming in two weeks. You know, we're going to have opening day. Weather is going to start changing. Spring break is coming for some folks. I know my spring break is coming up in about 10 days. We're going to get out of town for a week and go to Florida. I'm really looking forward to that and kind of recharging the batteries. But the one thing that I did for myself this weekend that I have not done in a while was take a nap. And I was really, really tired on Saturday night. I'd been out and I had not planned it. It was kind of an impromptu evening. And Sunday afternoon when I got home, 
from what I was doing and my chores and whatnot, I slept for about a half an hour. Not a great nap, but it was it was enough to kind of shift into neutral and recharge a little bit. And I think that that made a big difference into me being able to make it full days Monday, Tuesday this week. Nice. So how about you? So for me, I've really been trying to work on my morning routine. I find my whole day, like the outcome of my days is so dependent on how my day starts. You know, so if I'm getting up late and kind of rushing around and the kids are already up and, you know, I'm just like already anxious to start the day, there's a much higher probability that the rest of that day just is not going to go well. Uh, but when I get up early, kind of feel a sense of control over my day. Like I'm up yes, before the kids, yes. I take my shower, I, you know, I do what I got to do in the morning, I stretch, you know, like all of these things that these healthy habits that I'm, I'm trying to incorporate, if I can start off my day on that foot, I think it just makes a world of difference. So just being intentional about how you're starting your day, getting into a good routine, I think is definitely something I would highly recommend. So awesome stuff. Being intentional is so crucial. Yep, absolutely. But we're going to end it there. Um, anything else? Just trying to think our next episode, we are, I know we talked about doing a listener episode. I'm going to put something out on Twitter, see if anybody people would be willing to come on because I think that would be really fun if we could just get some interaction and, and get some people maybe we haven't heard from and mm -hmm. get there, get some hot takes heading into the year. But anyway, keep a lookout for future episodes of the Fantasy Baseball Beat. But for Mike, for Carlos, for me, thank you for listening.